מזל טוב. משפחות, משפחת ישי, משפחת סקאבה, סומא טוב תלבי הבת. So he begins his, his words with the following. Balak, the king of Moab, brought me from Aram. Why is it important to know where he brought him from? What's the difference if we brought him from Aram, or we brought him from Damascus, or we brought him from Baghdad, or we brought him from Lebanon? Why, why is it significant that he begins his derash and he says, we should know, that he brought me from Aram. And he told me, he said, the curse Yaakov, but what should I do? I have no ability to curse. How could I get angry when Hashem is not angry? I see them from the highest of mountains. And I see them from the hills. There was a rabbi called David Tabal, Tet Ein Bet Lamed. He was the top student of the Chaim Golajan. He was a Gaon. They study his and other Sepharim that he wrote. He also wrote a book on Dinashot, Hasdeh David. And he has there a Dirash, a small paragraph, explaining what does it mean that Bil'am said, I was brought from Aram. He asked, what is the, what's the significance where he was brought from? He said the following. He said that there is a certain energy or force that people that are close to each other and have a connection to each other when it comes to cursing. If we could find the connection between the one that's cursing and the one that's being cursed, if there's a closeness to them, so then already it's min bimino, and therefore there's a electricity. The kidala will will work. That's why, for example, David, shalom, it said in the later prophecies that David, the Mashiach, is going to conquer Moab. But since he came to Moab, therefore he has a connection to Moab, and therefore we can bring them down. What Balak was saying is that where did the Jewish people come from? 
the Jewish people come from the same place Bil'am comes from. After all, our fathers came from Aram Naharayim. That was Nahor, that was Terah. And therefore, Bil'am was saying, just like you're from Aram, Bil'am, Bnei Israel has their roots in Aram, and therefore you're a landsman. And a landsman has the ability Frozen. Uh oh. What happened? Therefore, he said, if I bring Bilamus to that same location, succeed. Problem is, what Balak did not realize is the following it's true. Abraham's father was Terah. But I would like to say a big hadush that the Rab says in his sefer, Abraham was not related to Terah. It was his biological father, but there was zero connection between Abraham and Terah. Why? Rabbi, are you repeating the class from last night? I'm starting from the beginning. No, we're starting from the beginning of Pinehas. Last Thank night. You. I just I just recorded it. Just, uh, I don't know. I couldn't cancel. Okay. So now we're starting from Pinehas. Big pasuk. Let's review. We didn't get to it last week, but at the end of last week's Pinehas, Bil'am was successful in bringing the Jewish people to sin with immorality. So much so that 24,000 people died in a plague. And then the leader of the tribe of Shimon, his name was Zimri, Zimri ben Salu, and he went with Oya public. Her name was Kosbi, Kosbi Batsur. And he went in public with the Goya, and uh, obviously it angered God a lot, and God was going to destroy the people. And then Pinehas, who was Pinehas? The son of Elazar, the grandson of Aharon. He went and he took his sword, Romach, and he went in the middle of the camp, he put himself in danger, and as they were in the middle of the act, he took the romach, the sword, and he left them both, and he killed them. And we learned at the end of last week's parashah that when he did that, it says the plague, the plague stopped. So it says in the out parashah it says, "Pinehas bin Azar bin Aruna Kohen." Now it's giving us the the lineage of who Pinehas was, the son of Azar. Grandson of Aharon Akohem. Why? The Shevatim, the tribes, they were humiliating Pinehas. And they were saying, Did you see this guy, the son of Puti? Who was Puti? 
Uti is Yitro. Because Pinehas on his mother's side is related to Yitro. Shepitem Avi Imor, his grandfather on his mother's side, worshipped Agatim, uh, calves, animals, which is they were basically saying, who does he think he is? His grandfather's a his grandfather used to worship Abu Dazara. Now he thinks he's so religious and pious. He's gonna go kill uh Zimri. And not only that, so that's where the Pasu comes along and says that no, this action didn't come from his father his, his, his mother's side, it came from his father's side. Ben El Azar Kohen. Just like Aaron is a Sadiq, so to Pinehas's motives are coming from a a pure place. That's why it says, They trace his history and ancestry to Aharon HaKohen. So nobody could, should question if Pinehas' motivation was compromised. Basically, they were telling him, who does he think he is? His grandfather was a goy. Now all of a sudden, he's going to become and uh, start killing the people? And the Torah comes along and says, no, this action was a result of his paternal grandfather. Al-Azad, what does that mean? Literally, it means he was a zealot. A zealot means somebody that gets angry and takes revenge. But this was not personal revenge. That she says, which means God says, I should have become enraged. And if God would have become enraged, he would have killed the people. So instead, Pinehas came and took the anger that should have been by God, and he took it into his own hands. And therefore, Pinehas gets rewarded. God made a covenant with Pinehas. It's a covenant of peace. It's like a, a person, let's say a person, uh, he wants to, you know, reward somebody because he did him a favor. So therefore, Afkan, God shows him friendship. And what's the friendship? So first, he makes Pinehas a Kohen. Now you're going to ask me a question. Wasn't Pinehas a Kohen already? He's the son of Elazar, the grandson of Aharon. Now we know Aharon and Elazar were Kohanim. So this, this is just this, this simple mathematics. If Aharon is a Kohen and his son Elazar is a Kohen, so the grandson of Aharon should be a Kohen as well. So what does it mean that God says that I'm going to give him Brit Keunat Olam? So that she says, even though God already gave the Kiunat to the offspring of Aaron, it was only given to Aaron and his sons that were anointed, and the children that are going to be born after that, after their anointment. But Pinehas was born already. So therefore, he was not part of the kihuna. You see, any child that's going to be born to Al-Azhar after he becomes anointed will become a Kohen. But Pinehas was born already. So therefore, it was only to Aharon 
Azal and future descendants. It doesn't grandfather in the descendants that are already alive. So technically, Pinehas was not part of the Kehuna. When did he become a Kohen? As a result of this act. God gave him Miri, Kehunat Olam, Kehunat forever. Tahad Ashir Kinele Lohav, because he had this revenge for God, and he brought kapara atonement for B'nai Israel. So now the Pasuk says, Veshem Ish Israel, the name of the of the Jewish guy. Uh, his name was Hamuke Ashirukatamidyanit Zimri Salu. His name was Zimri, the son of Salu, Jewish guy. Was actually the president of the tribe of Shimon. On five families, and he was one of the presidents of uh, one of the five families of Shimon. And it comes to tell us how praiseworthy Pinehas was, that even though this Zimri was a influential guy, he didn't care Pinehas. He went. And he put himself in danger in order to stop the Hilul Hashem, the desecration of his name. That's what's coming to tell us who Zimri was. Who cares who I was? He was Rasha. But once it comes to us, the Pinehas was not intimidated by, by Zimri, even though he was influential presidential of the family. And the name of the lady who they murdered, that's the Goya, Hamidjanit, the Midjanit girl, Kozbi, Bat Sur. Now it shows you how much the Goyim hated the Jewish people because one of the kings of Midian is Sur. Actually, the Madras says it was Balak. Balak is that's the guy that hired Bil'am. How much did they hate us? They let their daughters commit prostitution against the Jewish people. So the Jewish people will make a sin. Is they sent their daughters to commit znut just in order to trap the Jewish people. They they let their daughters go loose to commit the sin of uh, uh, znut in order to make the people sin. That just shows you how um, how much hatred they had. Rosh umot betav. Sorry, Rosh umot betav This is one of the head. Families of Midyam. She says there was five families in Midyam, five kings, like the five families in the mafia. That the five families in Midyam, it Evi, it Rekem, it Sur. So this was the head of uh, head of Sur. That's what it says over here, and it says that actually, if you look at the list of the families, it's Evi, Rekem, and Sur. Sur is number number three. Now, Tzut actually was number one, but they demoted him after he gave his daughter to Znut. So even the Guim saw that that's, uh, that was too much. They gave his daughter to commit Znut, so they lowered him in his standing. He went from number one to uh, number three. <clears throat> now it says, uh, Now God wants to take revenge against Midian, because these Midian people caused the Jewish people to commit Abu Dazara and promiscuity. 
immorality. So now God's going to tell Moshe, go take revenge against the Midianim. Sarot, Sarot, she says, <coughs> go and literally means to antagonize or to remember and take, uh, take revenge. Treat them as enemies. Attack them. Because they were, were enemies to you. They antagonized you with their conspiracy. What they did with the Abu and what they did with Kosbi, they sent her out to commit the Znut. So here it says that um, one of the things they did, as we said, they let their daughters go loose <coughs> to commit Znut. And it led them to do Abu Zarah as well. Which is the Abu Dazara Peor. Now, why does God say only to destroy Midian? What about the nation of Moab? We learned last week <coughs> that it was Moab that actually hired uh, Bil'am. So God should kill the Moabi people too. So that she says, because somebody was going to come out of Moab, and therefore God did not want to destroy them yet. Who was coming out of Moab? Right. There you go. 100% right. Ruth. And if Ruth was coming out of Moab, so Borei Olam says, leave Moab alone. We still have business to do with them. And it was after the Magifa. Now it says, Now, for the, I think the third or fourth time in this book of Babidbar, the book of Numbers, and it's called Numbers for good reason, we're going to count the people once again. So again, I think the fourth time that we're counting. Every family, we did it in Bamidbar, we did it in Nassau, we did it in Baalotecha, and now we're doing it again in Pinehas. Now, why are we counting the people again? So that she says, after the plague, and we lost 24,000 people, so God wanted to take attendance again. And as she gives an example of a shepherd, that he has sheep, and all of a sudden, some wolves come into the flock, and they kill some of the sheep. So what does the shepherd do after? He counts the sheep to see who's remaining. So so to over here, after the plague, God wanted to count Ben Israel to see who was remaining. Now, another explanation that she says is that when they came out of Mitzrayim, and they were given over to Moshe. God gave Moshe Rabbeinu accounting. And now Moshe is going to be giving over the people to Yeshua to go into Eretz Yisrael. He's about to die. So he's going to give over the people to Yeshua with accounting, with a, a list, you know, a, uh, uh, an accountability of exactly how many people uh, there are. So that's... That's what it's saying over here, at least in the beginning of a parasha tonight. Tomorrow night will be actual count of the tribes and the family. Team will say on that as well. Nonetheless, we're learning these hadushim. That's the parashat pinehas. I told you last night we're going to start tonight the fourth.
census, the fourth counting uh, in the book of Bamidbar, hence numbers. So we're going to start um, from Perekhavav Fasuk He. Reuven Bechod Israel. So Reuven is the firstborn of Israel. Bene Reuven. So the children of Reuven is Hanoch. And he has the Hanochi family, Mishpachat HaHanochi. Lefalu. Falu is one of the sons of Reuven. Mishpachat HaPalui. Lechetzron. Chetzron is one of the children. Mishpachat HaChetzroni. Lecharmi. Lecharmi is one of the children. Mishpachat HaKarmi. Ele Mishpachot HaRuveni. This is the families of the Reubeni. Altogether, the numbers are That's 43,000 Now we get to the children of Falu. Falu Eliav. Eliav this is the famous those that were summoned by the assembly they're the ones that incited against Moshe when the story of Korah when they incited against Hashem the ground opened its mouth and swallowed them when the the congregation each with the 250 members and it became a sign and the children of Korah did not die okay so now we need to analyze what we just read sounds very simple the first book is Reuven Reuven has a couple of children Hanoch Falu Hesron, Karmi, and every time it mentions one of the children, it says, Falu. His family was Hapalui. Hapalui. And then you had Hesron. Hesron's family is Ha Hesroni. And then you have Karmi, the family of Ha Karmi. It's like saying, I am Eliyahu Mansur. I represent the family of Ha Mansuri. You put a he in the beginning and a yud in the end. Now you can do that with all of your names. And the question is, why does the Torah have to come along and refer to their names as such? Say, Reuven had a child, Palu. Why do you have to tell me? And his family is Ha-Palu-i. You're putting a he in the beginning and a yud at the end of their, of their family name. Is that significant? So, one of the most important that Jesus Perasha tells us the following. Uh, the Goyim, the nations of the world, were humiliating the Jewish people. Why? Do you think that these children are really the children of their fathers? These are not Reuven's children. Then whose children are they? 
סבונים שלא שלטו בשים במותיהם, you don't think the Egyptians took the Jewish woman and had children from them? And therefore the Goyim were claiming that really not only did the Egyptians uh, make us work in Egypt, but they took our wives. And therefore these children are really not the children of their fathers. You know who their fathers are? Egyptian fathers. That's what the Goyim was saying. And they said, in if they ruled over our bodies, certainly they had ruling over our wives. So God wanted to show that our lineage was pure. God put his name in every one of these families. What's the name of God? Yudke. The letters Yud and He is the name of God. So therefore, every family, God put his stamp of approval to say the family is pure. The mother is Jewish. The father is Jewish. There was no intermarriage or mixture. So therefore, let's go back to our example. Falu. Ha palu'i. God puts a He in the beginning and a Yud at the end. That's Yudke. What does that show us? It's, it's like uh, we, 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 we would say today, if you buy a, whoa, there we go. Zoom accident. I think I want to get that uh, item there, put it back in. It's like we would say today, if you have, let's say, um, put it around. People would not imagine how archaic our system is over here. Let me do it. Let's see if we can get the phone over Okay, which means today if you want to, let's say, get um, kosher food. So you have a, a, a kosher symbol. What's the kosher symbol? OU, let's say. So the kosher symbol to know if a family is kosher is Yudke. So were, in every family, God added those two letters to show I am testifying that there was no intermarriage or no assimilation and the Egyptians didn't mix up. And therefore, as she says, He mitzadzeh, the Yud mitzadzeh, He in the beginning of the name and the Yud at the end. Lamar, as if to say, Me'id ani alehem, I am testifying, Shehem bene abotehem, that they are the sons of their Jewish fathers. And David Melech referred to this in Tehidim when he said, Shifte Ya. The tribes are called the tribes of Ya, Yudke. The tribes that got the certification of Yudke. Edut Israel. It is a testimony uh, that what? That they are purebred. And that's why it says, the Pichach Mechulam Kitab. Now, we're going to get to one example. Let's go, for example, to Pasuk 44. I'm going to skip a little, but jump around to Pasuk 44. I'm turning myself. In Pasuk 44, you'll see we get to the children of Asher. Bene Asher. 
Yimnah. It was a child, his name was Yimnah. So it says, Mishpachat Hayimnah, the family of Yimnah. Now there it doesn't say Hayimni, because it doesn't have to say it, because in the letters Yimnah, you have a Yud here already. Yud in the beginning and add that Yimnah. So the Torah doesn't have to add Mishpachat Hayimni, because again, it's built in to his name. So that she says, Okay, so that's a very, very important rule that she says. Now, let's get to the next thing. It says that the children of Korah did not die. Now, how did they get saved? I thought the ground opened up and was swallowing everybody. So that she, what is that? That she, right. So that she says over here that at the time of the Mahloket, as they were falling into the sinkhole, they had thoughts of Teshuvah. So as they were coming down, they couldn't repent. They couldn't say, Anna, they're in the middle of falling into Gainam. Are they going to say, Anna, they didn't have a Mahzor of Yom Kippur with them. So how were they going to repent? In their mind, they said, we made a big mistake by going against Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's called Hirhur Teshuvah. And as a result of the Hirhur Teshuvah, God put a, a ledge, came out of the hole, like a step. And they were able to jump on the step and climb out of the hole. So therefore, Ubnei Korah lo metu. Now, to me, this is very, very significant. Why? Because you see how much Hashem accepts Teshuvah, even if it's only a thought of Teshuvah. Mm. Even if the person's in a dangerous situation, and in his mind he says, I feel so bad, God says, that's Teshuvah. Even though you didn't fast yet, and you didn't make official Teshuvah banging on your heart, and you didn't do all the different uh, items that are necessary for Teshuvah, even a, a good thought that a Jew has, that he says, I made a mistake. That's all B'nai Korah did. And you know what I learned from this? That that means Korah himself didn't even do that. Because if Korah would have had thoughts about when he was falling down Gehinam, he would have been saved as well. So from the children of Korah, you see how bad Korah was. I mean, you figure that when he's falling down the the Gehinam will say, you know what, I must have made a mistake. Didn't even enter his mind. It didn't even enter his mind. As he's falling into Gehinam, in his brain he's saying, I'm right. And therefore, uh, it just shows you how when a person is committed to a certain mistake, it's very hard for them to uh, admit that they were wrong. In the case of B'nai Korach, they were able to, uh, uh, you know, to repent. Am I Rabbi Acham Baruch Shalom used to say this a lot of times when we used to have in Share Siyon, or I guess that's where he was the rabbi. So the committee used to give him a hard time and make machloket. The committee would, you know, agitate him and stuff like that and make his life, uh, you know, hard on purpose. And so the rabbi would come and start the class and he would say regarding the committee, says, the children of Korah are still around. Korah might not be around, but 
he left his uh, descendants. And these are the children of Korah. That was his way of saying that. There's still always going to be argumentative people and uh, divisive people in the world. Now let's go one more, one more piece. So it says over here, B'nei Shimon. Now we get to Shimon's uh, family. Now you know already what's going to say. Nemuel, which family? Hanemueli. Oh, you. Kosher family. Got the Yudke. Liyamin. Mishpachat. Hayamini. Liyachin. Mishpachat. Hayachini. All kosher families. All Jewish fathers. Lezerach. Now, Zerach, that she tells us, uh, actually is. Well, Zerach literally means uh, bright. So he says, it's actually Sohar. He is Sohar. Sometimes you're going to see another name called Sohar. It's the same guy. Lezerach. Um, we'll read it in a second. Let's pick that she over here. Mishpachat Hazarhi. Shaul. Mishpachat Hashauli. These are the children, families of Shimon. Shanaim Be'esim Elif 22,200. Okay, now let's read one more. That she big that she. That she says, Aban Mishpechot Ohad Batla. There was a family called Ohad. That was also from the family of Shimon. That family ceased to exist. I guess certain families just, uh, you know, they died out. So you had Zerah, who was actually the family of Sohar, but Ohad, no more. Five families of the tribe of Binyamin, Binyamin had 10 children. Five of his children ceased to exist. Binyamin went out to Mitzrayim with 10 sons. And now when we're going to count Binyamin, in this parashat counts B'nai Binyamin. Which is a good name for a shul as well. The point is, when it says uh, uh, it says that they only had five. So what happened to the other five? So the other five ceased to exist. Uh, the family of Yishva, which was to Asher, had seven families uh, uh, that also uh, ceased to exist. So you have to make a, a, a actually a comparison of who went down to Egypt, and then by this time in Parashat Pinehas, which is forty years later, you know what was the uh, what was the numbers? Umatzati betamud Yerushalmi. He says here, this says, where did all these families go? That's the question. When they ceased to exist, what happened to them? If they came out of Mitzrayim, why didn't they continue to perpetuate? Well, there was a. a there must have been something. It wasn't COVID. I mean, what what happened to all these? Uh, what happened to all these families? So that she says that when Aharon died, the clouds of glory dissipated, and the Canaanim came to fight with Israel. So the Jews got scared, and they made a U-turn and started to run back to Egypt, and they actually traveled backwards. Eight station stops. Eight station stops backwards in the opposite direction. They went from Horahar to Moserah. 
like it says, Ubnei Yisrael, they went from Beberot, Bnei Ya'akal, Mosera, Shammet, Aharon, and Aharon did not die in Mosera, he died in Horahar. But that means that after he died in Horahar, they went backwards, eight journeys, to Mosera. Now it says, when they started to make the U-turn, the tribe of Levi chased them to bring them back. So now you got a slow, a slow speed or high speed chase between Shemit Levi trying to bring back these Jews that were going back to uh, to Mitzrayim. And what happened? Amazing. Levi killed out seven families. So this is what's called a civil war. There was a civil war going on over here. They killed seven families. You believe it? Wow. And it was a civil war. There was casualties on both sides. In Bnei Levi, four families died. So they lost also by the Bi'id. She says, I don't know what the fourth, uh, the fourth family is. So you see over here, that according to that she, the missing families died in the civil war when Shevet Levi went back to retrieve these families that were running away, and they killed seven, and uh, the seven, those families actually killed uh, Levi. So it was a serious, uh, serious stuff. But the Midrash then says that they died in the Magifa. So it was COVID. They died during the plague. Which plague? Midvar Bil'am. Remember we learned last week's parasha that there was a plague that broke out after they committed the immorality and that's where all those families ceased to exist. And also uh, the tribe of Shimon went down considerably in the census because uh, they lost alone 24,000 just the tribe of Shimon. So that's... uh, that they, 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 they suffered the most. She says, She called Esteem Barbim Elif Naflum Shifto Shel Shimon. So that's the. Uh, there you have it. Interesting stuff. All right. Who thought that a census could be so dramatic? We thought that's just, uh, you know, numbers, but actually, you have to also calculate the missing families. And tonight we learned. Something that's not even written in the Torah so explicitly, a civil war that broke out between Shevet Levi and the rest of the people. And they killed each other. Those days, men were men. I mean, they didn't just say, come back. They didn't come back, they killed them. And uh, they didn't take it sitting down. They killed from the family of Levi as well. All right. Rabbi, it continuing says- uh, Parashat bin Ahas. And we are uh, right in the middle of the census. We do these classes for the Rashlama Hayasara Bat Simcha. Amen. We're getting to the Pesukim here. Let's see where we left off. We are going to start tonight. Perech Avav, chapter 26. And we're going to start uh, Pesuk 15. Bene Gad. Okay, family of God. For their families are Sephon, Sephon, Mishpahat, Hasephoni. Of course, you the last night, the He and the Yud. 
That's the OU. That's the Kashrut symbol that the families did not assimilate. Lehagi mishpachat hagi leshuni mishpachat hashuni leozni mishpachat haozni. Now that she says that actually the Ozni family is referred to in a different place as Itzbon. Uh, Itzbon is the same family as Ozni that she says he doesn't know why over here the Torah changes its name. Originally, when we learned it in the earlier Parashiyot, they were referred to as Bon. Now they're referred to as Ozni. I saw that the Kadosh says something beautiful. That the Gemara says in Kitubot on the Afher that what's the reason why Hakadosh Baruch Hu made the finger, the etzba, in the shape of like it's rounded at the end, and it's the shape like this. So the Gemara says because if a person hears Lashonara, he's able to fit his finger into his ear. The finger, the the uh, the, the finger fits perfectly in the ear. Hashem made it here is plugged up by the finger. So therefore, you don't have to hear Lashonara. So therefore, the Shlakador says, Ozni, which is the name of the family over here, Ozni comes from the word Ozen. And then it says that they used to call them Etzbon. Etzbon is from the Lashon Etzba. So it's giving us a remis that the way a person controls his ear is through the Etzba, through the Etzbon. And then I saw, based on this, a beautiful interpretation because uh, most, when a person sins, where does the sin come from? It's because he listened to the Yetzirah. He let the Yetzirah penetrate his uh, ears. When the Yetzirah comes to tell you to do something, just close your ears, take it out of here, leave me alone. I'm not listening to you. So every sin is because you didn't put your finger and close your ears from the either the Yetzirah or the outside influences. So in the olden days, they would have to bring a korban, a sacrifice. And what would the Kohen do? He would have to sprinkle the blood of the korban on the Mizbeah. Now, how would he sprinkle the blood? It says, Be'etzba'oh. He would take his finger and dip it into the blood and sprinkle. So I saw from the rabbi called Me'ir and why the finger? Is it because the source of all sin is because you didn't put your finger in your ear. You didn't close your ears. Uh, you didn't follow advice of the Shlach Kadosh and the Gemara Ketubot. Le Itzbon, the family of Itzbon is the family of Ozni. That the way you make the Tikkun of the Ozin is in order to take the Itzbon. A beautiful, beautiful interpretation. Okay, we continue. Le uh, Arod, to the family of Arod, Mishpata Arodi, Le Arodi Mishpata Areli. God. This is the family of God. They've called them Arba'im Elif. That forty thousand, Lachamesh Meod, and five hundred. Bene Yehuda. Now this story we know. Yehuda had Erve Onan. Now we learned earlier this uh, season about Erve Onan. They died. Byamot Erve Onan. Byu Bene Yehuda l'mishpechotam. He had other children. Yehuda l'shela l'shparta shelani l'feretz. That's actually the family of Mashiach. Lezerah, Mishpachat, Azarhi. By you, Benefedes, the children of Peret, Etzron. Mishpachat, Etzroni, Lehamul, Mishpachat, Ehamuli. 
many people were in Yehuda's tribe? Shisha v'shevi'im elif. That's 76,500. Now we get to the family of Yisachat. To their families. Uh, first, you had Tola. That's one of his children. Mishpachat had Tola'i. Lefuva. Mishpachat hapuni. Leyashuv. Mishpachat hayashuvi. Now, one of the children of uh, of uh, Yisachat was Yashuv. Now that she says, Hu Yob. He was also known earlier as Yob. Ha'amur b'yordeh Mitzrayim. Now when they went down to Mitzrayim, Yisachar had a son called Yob. Now he's not called Yob anymore. Now he's called Yashuv. What happened? Why did they change his name? So it says, um, the reason that they changed his name is, it says from Rabbi Moshe Darshan, Shiyarda Imam de Mitzrayim, Kishaita Meoberet Mehem. She was pregnant with them, with these kids. Lekach Nehdeku de Mishpechotam, Kehesron de Hamun, Shayu Benebanim de Yuda, Behemir Matkie. Let me just see over here where he says. So he's not explaining what happened. They added an extra sheen to his name. So he went from becoming Yob to becoming Yashuv. And that she doesn't really tell us exactly why they added a sheen to his name, but it's the same, it's the same guy. So now. Very good. Very good. Just one second. Next one. Bnei Sachas. So we saw Liyashum Shai Shuvin Shimron Mishpat Shimroni Elle Mishpechot Yisachar Nefkudehem Arbav Shim Elad Roshmeot. The Yisachar family had sixty-four thousand and three hundred. If you want to know, this morning we said over Hidush from the Orachim Kadosh regarding the family of. Yisachar. Yisachar was the family of Torah. That's the family that studies Torah. And that's what Yisachar stands for. Yisachar. They get reward. Because the main reward is not the physical reward that a person gets in this world for making money and uh, you know getting physical things. The main reward a person should anticipate is the reward for learning Torah. That's why his name is Yisachar. He has reward, meaning he has the real reward. Furthermore, the Gemara says that the tzaddikim that study Torah, God will reward them in Olam Abba, 310 worlds. It's called Shai Olamot, the 310 worlds. So therefore Yisachar is Yesh Sachar. Yesh is Yudshin, which is 310. Yesh Sachar, they're going to benefit the 310 worlds. And the Hachamim tell us that one of the things that uh, the people that study Torah, they're protected from judgment. And the rabbi, Orachim HaKadosh, says that judgment in Hebrew is called Deen. Now, Deen is uh, 64, Dalid, Yud, and Nun. And that's why there were 64,000 uh, uh, people in the tribe. But he says, 
What do you mean? 64,000 is not a good number. That represents Dean. But if you look at the Pasuk, it says, He says, it's like saying 64 plus one, plus an Elif, plus one, so it's 65. And 65 is the numerical value of God's name, Adanut, Aleph, Dalet, that the tribe that learns Torah turns Midat Adin into Midat Rahamim, into the Midat of mercy. Bnei Zebulun, the Mishpahotab, the Sered, Mishpahta Sardi, that's like Sardar we have today. The Elon, Mishpahta Eloni, the El, Mishpahta Eli. This is the family of Zebuluni, the Fkudahim, Shishim Elif, Mahamesh, Meot. That's 60,000. 500. Now, I don't know if you noticed over here. Here we have an exception. Not only is the letters He and Yud written next to every family member, but the tribe also, it says, that it didn't do that before. When it came to the other tribes, it said, for example, we just read Yisachar. But here when it comes to Zibulun, it doesn't say it says why does it put the extra standard of kashrut on the name of the tribe itself? Because we learned last, last night that the hey yud prefix and suffix represents that God is testifying that these families are pure and there's no assimilation and there's no uh, blood from the foreign nation. So why would God not only put it in the families of Zibulun, put it in the actual name of the tribe? And the rabbis answer, because what was Zebulun's business? They were travelers. And therefore, they go overseas. They leave their wives for a long time. So nobody should think that when they traveled, that Hazbe Shalom, they were tainted and they had compromise in their families. So it says, had Zebuluni. And even though they traveled, even though they went away, they were still pure. And the children that came from them were still only from the Jewish wives, and they had proper lineage. Now we get to Bnei Yosef. It's a good name for a shul also. Bnei Yosef, Lemishpechotam, Menashe, Ephraim. As we know, Bnei Menashe, Lemachir, Mishpata Machiri. Now Machir had Gilad, Gilad has Mishpata Giladi. Elde Bnei Gilad, Iezer, Mishpata Iezri, Mechelek, Mishpata Chelki. Now, when it came to this fellow that's from the tribe of Menashe, from the tribe of Menashe, there was a guy called Slofhad. He did not have any boys. He only had daughters. The daughters' names were Five daughters. These are the films of Menashe. How many people do they have in the tribe? 52,700. Now we finish up. These are the families of Ephraim. Now the children of Shutan, the Iran, Mishpata Irani, the Irani family, that's the Yabro here, Mishpata Irani. How many people did Ephraim have? 
32,500. Now, the she says over here, that uh, she just gives you a subtotal. Altogether in this parasha, you'll find 57 families. Altogether from all the tribes and eight families from Levi. Altogether, 65 families in the Jewish people. And that's why it says in the Pasuk that God says, Ki haba'at, you are the smallest of the nations. What is Hame'at? Hame'at. Hamesh atem hasirim b'mishpot kol amim, Which means, how many nations did the Guim have? 70 families. We must 70 nations. And we are 75. So God says, Hame'at, you are five. Hame'at, you are five less than the Guim. They're made up of 70 nations, and we have the Guim. No, we have 65 families, and the Guim have 70 altogether. So God says, Hame'at, Hame'at, you are five less than the regular, than the nations of the world. That's from Rebbe Moshe, Haddarshan. Okay. Bene Benyamin, also a good name for a shul. Le Mishpechotav, Le Bela, Bela. Today, Bela is a lady's name. But in those days, Bela was a man's name. Mishpachat, Habbalai. La Ashpel, Mishpachat, Ashbe'eli, La Hira, Mishpachat, Ahirami. Lishfufam, that's a tongue twister. Mishpachat, Hashufami, Le Hufam. Mishpachat, Hufami. Vayu bene Bela, Na Bela had children, Ard, then Aman. Mishpachat, Ardi. How many people that Binyamin have? One of the biggest tribes, Hamisha, Varbaim, Elef, not so much, 45,600. Now, this is a big tribe. Um, it says over here, Rashid just says that this family called Shifufam in Bereshit, they call them Mupim. But they changed them from Mupim, and here they're calling him Shifufam. Change of name. I don't know why they changed his name, but they went from uh, uh, Mupim to Shifufam. Okay, now we get to Ele ben Edan. This is the people of Dan. The Mishperotam, the Shuham. Shuham actually is Hoshim. Now, this is a very important man, this guy called Shuham. It's the same letters as Hoshim. We know that he was he was handicapped. He was deaf. Yaakov Abinu had a special grandson. Mishpachat Shuh, I mean, he's the one that actually killed Esav, if you remember. Now, even though he only had one child, Dan only has one child. And he was a deaf child. Now, look how many people this tribe ends up having. 64,400. That's one of the biggest tribes. What do you learn from this? You can't figure where the Barakah is going to come from. You would have said, poor Dan, he only has one special kid, deaf. He ends up coming from that one child. It multiplied to become one of the biggest tribes. So, you know, sometimes the blessing comes in strange uh, disguise. <speaking in Hebrew> And now uh, the daughter of Asher, her name was Sarah. Now we know Sarah, but Asher is the one that gave the, exactly, 
the news to Yaakov Abinu that um, that Yosef was still alive, and she was still alive, by the way. I mean, she lived all the way from Book of Bereshit. This, no, is, a, no. this is all the way now after the Jews came out of Mitzrayim, 40 years in the Midbar, so she lived a very long uh, uh, time. Fine. She had extraordinary longevity. And uh, that's the tribe of Asher. How many people in Asher? Uh, not so much. Uh, 53,400. Last tribe. That's the Goonies. We have a guy in the Shulgani, but this is a Guni. How many people? So that's 45,400. How many people altogether in B'nai Israel? 601,000. Not including tax. So you have 601,730. Okay, there goes the census. And with other shit, we got one more night. Just tomorrow night, and we'll go into the next episode of the Daughters of Selofhad and the Division of Eretz Yisrael. Thursday night. Shalom, Rebbe Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. God bless you. learning for And we finished the census, so that's good news. <clears throat> And I think we came out with about 601,000-plus uh, people. Now we're going to start a new subject. <clears throat> it's going to be in... Let's just get the right pasuk over here. It's going to be in pasuk... Nun bit, 52. 26, 52. By the bear Adonai El Moshe Lemor. Okay, that's going to be the easiest pasuk of the night. And Hashem speaks to uh, Moshe and says, La ele tehalek haaretz benachala bemispar shemot. So now we're talking about the division of the land. So coming to Eretz Israel, Moshe is not going to go in, Yoshua is going to go in. The land is going to be divided by the tribes. So that she comes and tells us that it's going to be divided to the uh, to the men of the tribes uh, not under 20 years old. Uh, that means even though at the time of the actual division they might be 20 years old because they had to be because it took seven years for them to conquer the land and then it took another seven years, actually, to divide the land. So the only ones that received the helik in the land were the ones that we just counted now, the 601,000 uh, uh, some odd people. And um, let's say we had six sons. 
לא נתנו אלא חלק אביהם לבדו. So they only took their father's, their father's portion. Therefore, when it says, it's not an assurance that those counted in the census would survive to take a portion of the land. It's a statement of the rule of which the apportionment of the land would be conducted, which means it doesn't mean that necessarily everybody was going to survive. It just means when it says to these people, the land will be divided to, it means you had to be at least 20 years old at this point. Even though, fast forward, at the time of the division, there was people that obviously reached the age of 20, but they're not going to get the division. You had to be 20 at the point of the, of the census. So that's the first, uh, the first point. Now it says, Larav nahalato, a tribe that has more people, so they get a bigger inheritance. Bilamat, and to the tribe that has, you know, less people, so they're nahalato, they get a less inheritance. Ish nahalato. So each family, according to their counting, that's the way they're going to get their uh, their inheritance. So that she says, to a tribe that was numerous in population, they got a big portion. Now, even though the portions are not going to be equal, what does that mean to say? It's according to the numerousness of the uh, individual tribe, the way they divided the portions. Now, they did choose the pieces uh, to divide it according to Latin. <laughs> and the lottery was conducted through uh, divine inspiration, like we're going to learn later on. El Azar Kohen was the Kohen. El Azar was wearing the, the breastplate with the, with the stones. And then he would say, uh, You know, uh, he would announce a certain uh, tribe. Uh, if such and such a tribe comes up in the lottery, and he would get a certain uh, demarcation of the land. The names of the tribes are written on 12 uh, tickets. And the 12 boundaries were written on separate tickets. And they mixed the 12 tickets together. The prince of the tribe. So he pulls out his tribe and then he pulls out his boundaries. So everything was already predetermined by God. So that was a miracle that every tribe picked their own uh, a ticket. And he would also take the ticket of the of the uh of the boundaries. Now, this you never heard before, but the lottery actually was talking. It was a talking lottery. How does a lottery talk? Yeah, the lottery would shout out and say, I am the lottery that came up. For such and such boundary, for such and such a tribe. The land was not divided by measure. You know, there's certain superior lands than others, 
and therefore we don't want anybody to fight. So Ela Bishuma was it was divided by um, by the value. Bet Kura Keneged Bet Seatov, which means they would uh, divide the land. Uh, let's say you had a um, an unproductive land of uh, let's say an acre, would you would get against it Bet Seatov. So it was, it was divided by value, basically. It wasn't divided by quality. Everybody got the same, you know, uh, uh, equal value uh, of the lens. But again, it was done by the uh, lottery itself, like we just learned. Like we said. Now, again, Rashi says, Elu so the fathers who came out of Egypt, uh, this inheritance was different from the standard procedure of inheritance. What's the normal way how you make an inheritance? The living inherit the dead. Isn't that the normal way of inheritance? The living inherit the dead. However, metim uh, Dead were inheriting living. Now, what does that mean? The dead were inheriting the living. She says, Let's say you had two brothers that uh, came out of Egypt. Who had sons. And, and they, the sons entered the land. So one guy had one son, and the other guy had three sons. So the one son takes one portion, and the three sons, uh, the one took to one portion, and the three sons took three. So their inheritance then reverted to their grandfather, and they divided it all equally. After the children took their portions, they divided according to the fathers. If they would have divided it according to the Yotzei Mitzrayim, the four children only would have received uh, two portions, each one for their father. Now they took four portions. So let's review what's being said over here. Uh, over here, let's say again, let's give the case of it. Normally inheritance is you have a father, he has two sons, he dies. So the inheritance goes to the two sons. That's normally uh, the way it happens. The uh, dead, uh, the living inherit the dead. dead. Exactly. But over here, the uh, dead were actually inheriting uh, the living. Because let's say you had uh, two brothers that we said, let's say, came out of Mitzrayim. That's the way that she gives the uh, example. Two brothers came out of Mitzrayim, no problem. And they had children. One guy had one child, and one guy had three. Now, 
So ha'echad natal chalik echad. So it says that uh, the one son took one portion, and the three sons took three portions. As it says, la'el le'tehalik ha'aris. Hazra nachalatan etzl avi avihen. Their inheritance then reverts to their grandfather. So, so again, let's just get the situation clear. You have two brothers, and the brothers have respectively one son and three sons. Now the inheritance is going to go back, not to the fathers, but to the grandfathers. It's going to go back two generations to the brothers that came out of Mitzrayim, their father. What does that mean? Their inheritance then reverted to their grandfather. Okay, now the grandfather gets the inheritance. That's one man. So he gets everything. And then it's divided equally. Let's see what that means. After the children got their respective share, meaning one and three, they went back to the fathers. Now, what, what would that make a difference? Had they divided it first to the people that came out of Mitzrayim, Right, if they were judging it to the ones that came out of Mitzrayim, there were two brothers. So each brother would receive one chilek, and then the children would have to divide one chilek each. But now that they gave it to the children first, so this guy got one and this guy got three, then it went back to the grandfather, and then it came down, and they get four. They get three and one. So they, this 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 system of inheritance over here um, uh, was uh, different than the normal way uh, things are inherited. Okay. Exactly. The four sons mentioned above would have taken not, uh, more than two portions, one for their fathers. But now they ended up taking four portions. Just see what he says over here. Anything over here? So that is that mean much more? They get much yeah. more. That's why they did it. exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank so you. Here, uh, that is one portion taken by the one son, and the three portions taken by the three sons were combined and viewed as if their grandfather's as their grandfather's estate. The grandfather's estate was then divided equally between the two sons and were among who were among those that left Egypt. Thus the portions of one son was equal to the combined portion of the three sons. Right. So therefore they got, uh, you know, they got their, uh, they got their chalik. Now the Pasuk says, Alpi agoral tehalek tofayim. And this is a story that, again, it was done by the lottery that she says, what does it mean it was done by the lottery? Everybody got a piece of land according to the lottery except two people, Yeshua and Kalev, because they already were given 
their uh, portions uh, by God after the story of the spies. Caleb actually got the city of Hebron, and uh, Yeshua also got uh, uh, a city as well. So therefore, they were excluded from the uh, from the lottery itself. Now it says that Al Pihagoral, from here that she learns that the lottery lottery actually talked Al Pi, as if it had a mouth. So therefore, it was an audible lottery. They picked it out of the hat, and then you would hear the lottery talk. This tribe gets this piece of land. Like I said above, so nobody could question the division. It was done, obviously. Okay. Now it says, this is the family of Levi. Uh, we didn't discuss those families yet. So you had Mishpat al-Libni, Mishpat al-Hibroni, Mishpat al-Bahli, Mishpat al-Mushi, Mishpat al-Kurhi. And Kehat had Amram. We know Kehat gave birth to Amram. And we know the wife of Amram was Yochebed, the daughter of Levi, and uh, that was born to them in Mitzrayim. Uh, Rashi comes along and says that Yochebed was born in Mitzrayim. That means uh, Yochebet's father was Levi. The mother of Yochebet, which is the wife of Levi, gave birth to in Mitzrayim, uh, but she was conceived outside of uh, Egypt. When she entered uh, the wall, Levi's wife gave birth to her. And she was number 70 of the 70 Jews that came down to Mitzrayim. Yochebet was the number 70. Because again, before she was born, you only have 69. Now it says, uh, Amram had children, Aharon, Moshe, and Miriam, as we know. And uh, Aharon had children, Nadav and El Azar and Itamar. We also know that Nadav Abihu died when they brought the Esh Sarah, the fire of the Ketoret. And the family of Levi, altogether is how many people? Shalosha Be'esrim Ele, 23,000. Mm. All male from one month and up. Till now, we only counted people from 20 and up. But when it comes to the tribe of Levi, we count from one month and up, and they equal to the number of 23,000 uh, even. They were counted separately. Uh, they were not counted in the census of 20 and up. And what's the reason? Because they didn't get a halik. The reason why we counted the census so we could divide the land up equally amongst the people. But since the tribe of Levi did not get a portion, they were not counted with the people that were counted uh, separately. And we learned again, Kiloni Fine. One more, one more piece over here. The Torah comes along and says, Moshe Azar. This is the uh, countings of Moshe and Azar, Kohen. Asher counted Moab. Right. They were encountered, Moshe and Aaron, because they were told by God that they're going to die in the Midbar. And the only ones that survived from that generation was Caleb and Yoshua. 
So that's um, that's the, 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 the exceptions. Now we know that the ladies survived the uh, decree of the spies. Only the men between twenty and sixty died, but the ladies loved the land, and it was the men that said we want to go back to Mitzrayim. But the ladies said no, we want to go to Eretz Yisrael. So you see, the ladies, uh, ladies were not involved in the sins for some reason. When it came to the Egel, the ladies didn't do the Egel. When it came to the sin of the spies, the ladies had no problem. They wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael. So that indicates us that you see the ladies presented your evidence in court. Better judges, than evidence, judges who ruled. Uh, if you, All right, you <laughs> we're going to stop over here. Yeah, stop. Stop. Uh, uh,